From the Fox News Podcast Network, I'm Dana Perino, and everything will be okay. Hello and welcome. I'm Dana Perino, and I'm back to let you know everything will be okay. I'm joined by guests who share advice and their unique perspectives on living a fulfilled life while accomplishing career goals along the way. With Mother's Day coming up, I thought it appropriate to start off this podcast series with working moms who are achieving their greatest potential in their careers while somehow managing to balance their home life. These inspiring women join me to pull back the curtain on how they find the time and the energy each and every day. Moms are amazing people. They already have the most important job of helping raise little babies to be good, productive people, and many of them are working as well. Managing a career and raising children is something I'm quite in awe of. I met my first guest, Michelle Chase, right after I left the White House and joined a big public relations firm. Michelle Chase is a human capital leader and chief talent officer with over 20 years of experience across all sorts of platforms like public relations, human resources, and in sports, cable, and music industries. She's also mother to three wonderful sons. I want to start asking what we always ask the mentors at Minute Mentoring. Um, what is your favorite piece of advice or piece of advice that you are find yourself giving to others most often right now? I have so many, but the one that I that keeps coming back to me is don't talk for the sake of talking. Um, you know, throughout my career, I, people come to me for advice. They come to me because they have a problem. They don't know how to solve it. They, they're confused. There's different things going on in their work world, sometimes even in the personal world. And my immediate reaction, I always want to tell them what to do. I always want to tell them what I think. Sometimes it's really important, particularly if it's a sticky situation, to say, you know what, let me sleep on it or let me take a little time to think about it and I'll come back to you tomorrow or give me an hour so I can just think about it. Because a lot of our knee-jerk reactions when we think we have the answer may not necessarily take into account like a 360 view of everything that's going on with that given situation. That's a great point. I worked for a chief of staff on Capitol Hill in 1995 and six. Her name is Holly Probst. I write Mm -hmm. about her in Everything Will Be Okay because she was one of my best mentors. And I remember one day asking her a fairly complicated question and it was around 6 p.m. wrapping Mm -hmm. up our day. And she said, let me take a stab at that tomorrow when I have a fresh head, which is basically, you know, let me sleep on it for a night. Mm -hmm. And um, you're right. Like when I remember to sleep on something for a night, you you wake up with such, well, at least more clarity than yes. if you're just trying to solve it quickly. Yep. And it also makes people that you're dealing with feel like you're really taking it seriously instead of just throwing something on the wall to see if it sticks. It's important to understand people come to you because they don't know what to do. Um, and I like I like taking a minute because it's not always super clear what the right answer is, even when it is clear initially, you know? So I don't have children, as you know, but um, Mm -hmm. uh, you do. You have three boys. And I want to talk a little bit about how you're one of the women in my life that I look at and say, I don't know how she does it. And so when I interviewed you, it was for a couple of reasons. One, because you are uh, an amazing working mom, but you also have incredible advice for others because of all of your um, 
experience in talent development and human resources and interviewing. Um, and when it comes to your own personal experience, I didn't know this about you, and I'd love for you to tell the story, that you had just been promoted when you found out you were pregnant with your third. Yes, yes. So that was a fun conversation. So first, what happened, I, I was in Asia with my leadership team. I actually was, um, I, I was head of the US. I was, I was asked to take the global role and went before I went to Asia, but I was asked to take the global role. And I said to my husband, I said, listen, you've got to stop working weekends if I'm going to take this job and you've got to pick it up because I'm going to be traveling more and it's going to be hard. And he said, take the job. And so I said, okay. So I took the job. One of the things I've always tried to do is also keep my my partner in crime here, Tim, um, really involved in my decisions because he has to be able to participate in those decisions. And I took the job, I went to Asia, and I remember having a glass of wine, waking up not feeling really great and thinking, wow, I can't be hungover from one glass of wine. And so I get back and it's the Sunday before Christmas. We had agreed that I took the promotion and it was everything was wonderful. Um, and I was eating an apple, a green apple with peanut butter on it. And I looked at the apple and I'm like, oh my God, I'm pregnant again. And I already had two <laughs> kids and I'm looking at them playing on the floor and I'm like, oh my God. And you know, my husband, we, my lovely, wonderful bonus child is amazing. He was not planned, but he was the best surprise I've ever had. Um, so he came along and I know that if I was pregnant, whenever they offered me the promotion, I just wouldn't have taken the job because I didn't think that I could do it. I took the job um, and I was preg very pregnant in the, you know, for a while, right? Nine months. And people would come into my office and say, Michelle, how are you going to do it? How, how are you going to, how are you going to do it? Are you coming back? Are you coming? You have three kids. Are you coming back? And I would just look at them and say, you know, isn't it funny? I don't think anyone's asking my husband that question. And I would laugh and then they would laugh like, okay. And they would walk out of my office. <laughs> Numerous people asked me that. But honestly, nobody asked my husband if they were if he was going to be going back to work. Um, and I just did. And it was doable. I obviously have a great partner in making sure we can get everything done and take care of the kids. But um, it was it was a moment in time that I personally know in my heart of hearts that if I knew I was pregnant, I wouldn't have taken it. So it was interesting. A, it was a blessing that I didn't know. Right. But and then but you were glad that you did take it. Um, and then you did oh, incredible work. Um, you've talked about women starting an LLC um, that would be um, like kind of their mm -hmm. own business so they could take on as many projects as they want. And uh, then when you do go yep. back to to work um, at a for an employer, you don't have a gap in your resume. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, having now, I'll say, well, that's how you ended up doing contracting work. Uh, you, so you could pay yourself and make sure you're, you're staying, staying current. Um, another thing that you talk about, of course, is just the work-life balance. And um, you have some good advice for people um, in terms of setting boundaries with your uh, employer and your colleagues. Um, and uh, you have some fun mm -hmm. stories about what would happen if anybody called you during the hours when you said you needed your family time? <laughs> so I had, I worked with some really great people. And when my children were small, they were pretty respectful. And, but often I would get calls, you know, when we're having dinner or when someone's crying, I always picked up the call, always picked it up because it would end up that the call was not important enough to not happen an hour later. 
And it was always fun when my CEO would call and one of my kids would be screaming or crying, you know, they're like little drunk people. So there was always something going on in my house with my three boys. So I would pick up the phone and they're like, oh, you're busy though. No, call me back whenever you're ready to talk. And Okay, no problem. Great. And it kind of got them into the habit of understanding there was another life beyond. I think part of the gift of COVID is that we see into people's lives right now. And there are many things going on in people's lives because they're home. The same thing happened whenever we were working normally. Um, I also would tell uh, women or anyone in general, the people that you work with aren't psychic. They don't know what's going on with your life. They don't know what your schedule looks like. They, And as, as someone who is a uh, pleaser when it comes to working, I always say yes. I, it's very rare that I want to say, I want to say yes to everything, but you can't. So you have to be able to say no, and you have to be able to say that won't work, or you have to say, can I do it later? Or it needs to be done by this, or but you just have to follow through and make sure you get whatever work done that needs to get done. Any advice for the young woman who is thinking about becoming a mom, but might be you know hesitant or worried, as I'm sure there's, there's lots of anxiety that goes into that big next step. Um, what would you tell them? Because I look at you and I think, you, uh, I know, uh, look, I know nothing, nothing is perfect, but when I look at your life, I feel like you've just managed to do so much and so in such a fulfilling way and you can cook beautifully. Um, and I'm looking forward to dinner the next time we can come over. Um, but the way you do it with such yeah. a healthy attitude, um, and you have an outlook, I think that's very wise. So for young women who are maybe thinking of becoming a mom, any thoughts for them? If you're even thinking, just do it. I, the best thing I ever did was have these three boys. Um, I thought that I would probably have one and then I had another and another, but they are, you know, watching them grow and seeing them become good people and do kind things. And, you know, my oldest was a ski instructor this summer or this summer, this winter. And it was amazing to think like, wow, my little guy can do these things now. And it's fantastic. But I would say just do it. It's hard, but it's always hard. But you know, it's it's um, everything. Everything is challenging, but if you don't know better and just keep doing it, it's going to be fine. You can't like everything will be okay, Dana. Um, <laughs> you, know, you just keep moving along. Wow, we didn't but even pay I, you I to say that. <laughs> we didn't even pay you to say that. But I do. <laughs> but I think humor works too. Like I find my kids very amusing, and their friends and the things that they do and say. Um, but you'll get through everything. You just do the best you can. And I always think that, you know, if other people can do it, I can. So why not? And you just, you just do just plug away and and have the kids that you want to have and enjoy them and know that you only have them for 18 years and then they're off on their own. So I only have two more years left with my oldest, which is crazy. It is crazy. Well, it's been a pleasure knowing you for all of these years, mm -hmm. and I look forward to all that's yes. to come. And thank you for participating um, because you have such great advice for uh, women of uh, any age and whether they have children or not. But I really think that your advice for working moms is excellent, and I uh, look forward to seeing all that you do in the future. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dana. It was so nice talking to you. Thank you so much. Hold tight, folks. Kennedy is next. Lesson. Take the time you need to raise your children and set them up for success. But do not neglect your work life for long. Stay on top of it so that you can maintain the skills you need and hold the salary you earned before you had kids. You may know Kennedy as the brilliant and extremely funny host of the show Kennedy on Fox Business, 
or remember her from her days on MTV as one of the It Girls interviewing the hottest new music artists. But according to her teenage daughter, she is just mom, and as she says it, not the coolest in their minds. I am amazed at how you are able to keep all the balls in the air. And now your girls, I knew them when they were younger, but now they are teenage girls. Yes, and they as are. my husband says, the world is run by teenage girls. Because <laughs> <laughs> you will do anything to make them happy. It's, it's very true. And also uh, their likes and dislikes, especially on social media, and I know we've talked about this on The Five, that's that's the future. Wherever they are going, follow them because that's where the money's going. And, um, you know, they are the real influencers that the so-called influencers on TikTok and Instagram. Well, you are the original influencer. I tried to you, tell them that yesterday. You were. Because my, my 12-year-old dress is super grunge. I'm like, that's how I dressed in the 90s. And she's like, no, it's not. And I told her, I said, I was cool in the 90s. And my 12-year-old looked at me and said, I have seen no evidence of this. <laughs> Oh, she needs to come talk to me because the fact I, I love it actually when um, uh, people will ask me, "Do you get to see Kennedy?" I'm like, "Yes, I do." And there, you're still an icon. So you were the teenage girl that was uh, running the world, and now you have uh, teenage girls that you are raising. Yes, and it's uh, it's a really interesting experience because um, my sister-in-law and I take a lot of parenting advice from her. Uh, they, my brother and sister-in-law have three kids and they're all older. Their youngest is now 20. My oldest is 16. So we have a gap there. So everything she's been through, she's been through it three times. And so I always take her lead on stuff. And whenever we enter a new phase and um, a great piece of advice she gave me on teenagers is you have to treat them like toddlers and that you don't baby them but they have the same kind of mood swings that toddlers do because you ever try uh, putting a hesitant toddler into a stroller, they turn purple. They get so mad. Or if you tell a toddler you're going to do something and then you have to change course and you can't go get ice cream, they fall apart. It's the same thing with 16-year-olds, but it's more like um, parties and getting their nails done and, and stuff like that. But teenagers need so much parenting, even though you, you kind of do it from the sidelines and it's more like consulting, but you really do have to be completely present in their lives the way you are for toddlers. And I I would have thought it was the opposite, that you get to take your foot off the gas and, you know, they become adults by actuating and making their own choices, and they do. But their emotional needs are such that that you really have to be present for everything. And, you know, they may not let you in all the time, but when they do let you in, you have to be there. Mm-hmm. And that's the part that I think is really um, ad- admirable about you and other moms that I know is that um, in some ways, you, when you just when you think that we were latch, I was a latchkey kid. Right? I don't know about you, but yes. it was like, um, how in the world we survived? I'm not exactly sure. But I, I remember thinking that if I were to um, you know, ever have children that I was like, wow, I would not let everybody be out on their own um, at 14, 15, 16, you know, coming home from school three or four hours. But that's partly because moms started working. And and that's the moms who started working and my mom started working. She was um, a substitute teacher and an art teacher for a long time. So she had kid hours. Uh, but when my parents split up, my mom started working full time. And that's when, you know, I became a latchkey kid in fifth grade and I was fine. Uh, my older brothers, they were, you know, they were <laughs> older brothers. Wild. Absolutely. Yeah. They absolutely were older brothers. And our generation of moms, they were so trusting. 
because their moms were always home. And so they came home with the dinner bell and, you know, there was a fresh apple pie made or a pot roast and everything else. And, you know, with us, we were lighting stuff on fire. And I remember one of my brothers stole a gallon of rubber cement from the elementary school and we just started lighting stuff on fire in this field. And it was such a bad idea. And and so now, because of that, parents now, like that's where helicopter parents came from, was because they know that children cannot be trusted. And so, you know, there, there's a fine line between overmanaging and micromanaging and just not letting your kids get away with arson. Let's go back um, because before your children were teenagers, they were babies. Um, and you became a mom while you were going to college. Is that right? I had Pele two weeks after I graduated from UCLA. Right. Which was awesome because she went to a lot of philosophy lectures. <laughs> and how's that working out now? It's it's interesting because she's taking her first philosophy class. She's taking a, a philosophy of ethics class. And, you know, she came home. She's like, I really like this. And she goes, it's really easy for me, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, philosophy is not usually a subject that, that comes naturally to most people. And I was like, that's really funny. You sat through so many lectures on Kant and Plato and Maimonides. Like, I wonder if any of that sunk in. It might have. But when you were um, becoming a mom, and you would, did you always know that you would work as well as raise children? I was hoping that, that, and I think this is a big Gen X mentality, is, you know, we're not necessarily tied to one profession or one job or one place geographically. And I think you're seeing this kind of manifest in the pandemic as people are like, oh, well, I'm going to pick up and move my entire family to a treehouse in Tennessee. And I was hoping that I would find something that would give me some flexibility uh, because I was always inspired by the way my mom worked because my mom worked really hard. She she created an entirely new career for herself and became an engineer uh, for the phone company and was designing all these complex phone systems, having, you know, like I said, a background in teaching art. Uh, So that was a really interesting shift to me, and and she really took ownership and pride in her new profession. And so I've always thought that that was important, that that's a good way of leading by example. And I've always told my girls, what I do, it's very competitive, but I love it. And you should always want to do something you love. And just know, whatever you want to do that you love so much, that's going to be the most, those are the most competitive careers. And that's why you have to work really, really hard. But I was always hoping that I could find something where the hours would be such that I could be home with my kids for part of or most of the day. And then sometimes just work weird hours. So that you, there was some built-in flexibility for you. Yes. And, and when Pele was born, I did a TV show and I worked from, you know, 9 to 12 in the morning and then was able to hang out with her for the rest of the day when she got into preschool. Then Lotus was born and I, I was doing a nighttime radio show. And so, you know, I had mm-hmm. a good chunk of the day. So I've always kind of in a way felt like a stay-at-home mom. But anyone, any mom who works, even, even if you are a stay-at-home mom, it's never, ever done. Like, no matter what you do, it's like the gun goes off the moment you get up in the morning and you have a mental list of things you have to accomplish. And, you know, one of the things that I found is so helpful is when you get something done, even if it's like putting a load of laundry in the dryer, you got to give yourself a high five. Like, you have to give yourself credit and mentally check that off and have, you know, a, a minor celebration so you can move on to the next thing. I like to ask mentors that do Minute Mentoring or this podcast, what is the best advice uh, that you've ever heard or received that you pass on to everybody else? 
Oh, the best advice I've ever heard. The the most important thing and the most powerful thing that has come back into my life in different ways is mindfulness. And the first time I encountered that was a very popular yoga teacher in Santa Monica. He's still teaching yoga. Uh, he's a legendary guy. He's had a studio for at least 30 years, this guy Brian Kest. And I had never taken yoga before. And he was like, do not look at your neighbor. Be in this moment. And, hmm. you know, that's the, the first time through a physical practice that I learned about mindfulness. And the next time uh, was actually with an incredible therapist in Seattle because I started having really bad panic attacks uh, to the point where, you know, I didn't know if I was going to be able to work again. And it was when I left MTV and was, was so terrified that I wasn't going to have, you know, a future in broadcasting. And so I had these panic attacks and she developed a school of therapy called Dialectical Behavioral Therapy. And, and she's a leg- an absolute legend in the field of psychology. And uh, so I, I got to go to her and her entire psychological process is rooted in mindfulness and and really being in the moment and now they teach some form of dbt in a lot of middle schools and high schools and you know it's based in in meditation and this thing called radical self-acceptance and accepting where you are and that's exactly where you're meant to be and you know that takes you back into the moment and i think that's so important for parenting because it's so easy to get distracted by the things you have to do and, you know, the, the worries that keep you up at night. And when you let that kind of go, especially when you're with your kids and you just stay with them in that moment, then you have those moments together. And those are the memories that sort of, you know, you you knit as a quilt for your entire life. Um, any advice for young women who are thinking about or hoping to become young moms? Mm. But maybe, you know, I find a lot of them. They have a lot of questions about work-life balance and worry about that. I don't think that ev- I don't think that worry ever goes away. I think you just figure it out once it happens. But I also don't want people to be putting off life uh, for so long, thinking that at some point in their careers, then it'll be like the magic moment when they can handle a work-life balance and- with career and children. There's never a magic moment. There never is. Doesn't matter how young you are, how old you are, where you are in your career. You never feel like you're ready before you have a child because it, it's a completely unknown frontier. Uh, you never feel like you have enough saved or you're at the point in your career uh, or you'll be able to do it. But somehow, magically, you know, there's an old saying, babies show up with a loaf of bread. And you and, and Travis Barker, um, who's now dating uh, Kourtney Kardashian. Hello. Yes. Uh, he, he said when he had kids, he got superpowers. And I think that happens with a lot of people. Like all of a sudden you have someone else. You are now living for another person and it gives you so much drive. And a lot of the organization comes from systems. And you learn that with newborns. Like you you have to come up with systems of, you know, burping and changing <laughs> and feeding and playing and changing clothes and doing laundry. And you come up with systems and then all you simply do is modify the systems as the children get older. And, you know, gestation is 40 weeks for a reason. So you have that much time to get ready. You have two or three years to get ready, even four years before they go to preschool. And you have plenty of time to, to look for good preschools. Don't listen to the horror stories. You know, and not every child, not every baby can't sleep. There are some babies who show up and they're good sleepers. Uh, but having children does give you a, a new level of motivation. Um, I, let's, I could talk to you for hours, but we will wrap it up. I, I'm curious as how do those systems change over the years? Like, do you have a system now? Yes, there's always a system. Okay, you know, there's always a system for uh, making sure that 
there's enough bread and cheese and turkey. Because God forbid if something happens and you've forgotten uh, to make lunch, that there's always something there to make a turkey sandwich. Like that's critical. And and it's it's really. I feel like thinking- we're gonna have to uh, name this podcast. Always be sure there's enough for a turkey sandwich or something. I love that. I love that. So, and you just, you have to think three steps ahead when you have babies, when you have teenagers, and you do your best. And if you don't, forgive yourself and move on to the next step. Yeah, because women um, tend to carry around a lot of guilt. Yes. For everything, even like made up things. Yes. And and things, unimagined things that, that have not happened, uh, you, you already pin that on yourself. So let go of that. And, and also, truly, mindfulness helps you get rid of future guilt, which hasn't even happened yet. Well, it's been amazing to watch you um, over the years. Of course, I was a big fan when you were on wow. TV, but then like, to get to work with you. But I think one of the most impressive things about you, to me, is how you parent. Oh, that's so sweet. I really appreciate that. I'm going to tell my girls you said that. (laughs) That will mean something. Also tell them that you were very cool. (laughs) And you're so cool. never, ever believe me. (laughs) Thanks, Kennedy. Thank you. My sister and I had happy childhoods. We were loved and cared for. We had a lot of friends. And my parents worked hard to ensure we had good educations. My mom helped nurture us along the way making sure we could take care of ourselves while knowing she was there if we needed her. She was a great role model. And what would a Mother's Day podcast be if I didn't interview my own mom, Jan Perino? Welcome, Mom. Thank you very much for having me, Dana. Are you glad to be on a podcast? Yeah, it's a new journey. (laughs) Um. Two things. I even know how to Zoom. Yes, you can. You can Zoom. You can do all sorts of things. So um, it's an honor to be able to talk to you. Um, I th- maybe we'll just, let's just start back towards maybe the beginning of your career, because I asked you to copy edit the book, and you did, and you were very helpful to find any uh, typos or misspellings. So I'm grateful to say there weren't too many by the time it got to you, thankfully. Um, but you had said something like... Uh, Nothing like that book existed for when you started out. So what was it like when you started out in the work world? Oh, my. Well, there was absolutely no help, either from school counselors or family, as to what you should do. So traditionally, 50, 60 years ago, um, girls just got married and started their families. And that is not what I wanted to do. So I started wherever I could, which I went to school for a couple of years. Um, And then I worked in a doctor's office for the next three. And then I transferred to working in the state hospital in Wyoming and learned, worked for the court system, worked for the clinical director, worked for um, the court system out of Cheyenne. And that's kind of where I started knowing that I had a lot of potential and I just needed to keep pushing forward. So that was the beginning of my working years. And you had a couple of um, sort of career, I wouldn't call them changes, but y- you know, you did a lot of different things along the way. So how did that happen? Well, prior to um, our moving to Denver, we had this cute little baby girl that I took care of, and I didn't want to go to work. I wanted to stay home. So I stayed home with you and Angie for six years. 
which was delightful. And I wish that every mother could stay home and take care of their kids instead of going to babysitters. But then Angie needed to have um, go to preschool. And so I put her in preschool and there was a psychiatric hospital about two blocks away. And I went in and asked if there was any job openings and they wanted to know what I knew. Well, since I had worked in so many different departments in doctor's offices, as well as at the state hospital, they hired me on the spot. Mm. I started the next day. Oh, I didn't know that. And I worked there for almost 12 years. But I, I, I worked there. I worked for the, I was assistant director of admissions for many years. I was the administrative support for 12 different departments at the hospital. And that was before computers. So everything was typed on a typewriter. So I worked for the clinical director, the social workers, the education department, occupational therapy, you name it. So I had a very wide job look at that place. But then I took up the marketing and I marketed for psychiatric beds. Mm -hmm. And then when that ended, it was bought out by a a hospital here in Denver. Um, I didn't know what else I was going to do. And so I applied to Lutheran Family Services and I got the volunteer director job, which turned into the special event person that raised um, just over a million dollars in eight years. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me a little bit about um, your time that I remember so fondly, but I would love to hear from your perspective, um, how you and dad worked with um, refugees to resettle them and took yeah. us along. And it, I think it, that really helped shape some of my thinking. Yes, it was part of working at Lutheran Family Services. We had many different departments, and our biggest budget area was the refugee program. So what I would do, I would try to find the homes and all of the items that are needed in a home um, from our church support system. So we, for example, when we resettled a family of seven from um, Azerbaijan, I don't think I'm quite saying that right. It's close, Azerbaijan, yep. There was a grandmother, there was two daughters, two husbands, and three children. And I remember Beth Walker and I actually got on our knees in front of the pastor of the Lutheran Church and begged him that we could use their parish house for this family. (laughs) And it worked. (laughs) I bet. (laughs) And we became extremely close friends and taught them as much as we could teach them. You know, the children didn't understand diapers and they didn't understand how to turn on a stove. I mean, it was, you know, the basics. Um, And from there, you know, whatever was being donated, um, it was part of my job to find someone who could deliver. And we had a pickup. So when you have a pickup in Colorado, you do a lot of pickups. (laughs) We always wanted to take you girls with us so that it would broaden your understanding of people that maybe were not like us, but were very similar in other ways. And we love those refugees. So yeah, 
We took you girls a lot, the washers and the dryers and the clothes. And, you know, when they needed food and they didn't know how to get it, you know, you taught them how to ride the bus. But to learn how to ride the bus, I had to teach them. I had to go on the bus myself. <laughs> so I took you with me and we rode the bus and then we were able to get their, their groceries for them. You took me to Washington, D.C. when I was a little girl and then you took me back when I went to work there when I was 22 or 23. Um, any, I, mean, I think maybe people might be curious about what you did in those formative years for me to try to get me on a path where I ended up where I am today. Well, I think you were six when we went back um, to Washington, D.C. And I was fortunate enough to have a classmate that was at that time the communicator director in the White House. So I contacted her to see if by any chance our family could come in and she would give us a tour. And to this day, I can still picture us going into that White House and your eyes were as big as dollars. And we um, got to go to all the different rooms. And then she took us into her office and then she showed us the red phone. That was the hotline to Russia at the time, if I remember correctly. Right. I had a picture of you standing there. So we talked a lot about, you know, what, the, what does this capital mean to us? And look at all of these statues and the people that made a difference in our country. I believe as when we went back home, the picture I have in my head is you standing on the milk box with your little flag. And you said, I'm going to work in the Capitol someday. There we were. Um, tell people about um, your parenting method with the gold star chart. I, I still, you know, Bill Hammer... He laughs about in the morning. Uh, he knows that I'll do anything for a gold star. <laughs> always trying to get that gold star. And I don't think Angie worried about it so much. I don't think she did it. I think she drew her own and then colored them, but it didn't <laughs> earn them. Now, there was one of the things that really worked well with you. Um, we had always set up some chores and it could be little chores, it could be emptying the garbage, it could be taking the dog outside. But every day we would look at if you completed your chores and then you got to put the gold star on the chart. And we all like gold stars, right? Yeah, I love it. <laughs> um, you know, we're, we're part of this episode, we were talking to um, moms today or young women who uh, hope to become moms and how they could best figure out to do uh, continue their careers um, and possibly with interruption, maybe, you know, if they decide to stay home for a little while. But is there anything that you would advise them today um, to be thinking about when they feel overwhelmed or they feel like they're never doing enough? It was really hard to be a working mom, even if you had a very supportive family. And I think the important thing is to give the mom a break, that it's okay to feel overwhelmed and ask if you need some help from your husband, from your friends, to talk to someone, talk to your children about what we need to do so things run a little bit more smoothly at home. And I think it's really important for the mom to feel really good of the decisions that they are making. You know, if they stay home, 
I think they're very fortunate if they work. You know, there's a lot of information that can go home and you share them with the family. And I think we did that a lot. Was there anything in the book that you thought was really good advice? The funny thing is every day I think about posture. (laughs) Yep. I know one of your favorite things. Um, I think the acknowledgement of um, thank you notes, of remembering people, of picking up the phone, sending a text um, to somebody that you haven't seen for a while, um, just to check in and say it's important. I think it's just little reminders like that that keep our relationships together, especially over the last year and a half. It's been hard. And I think the other thing that I thought was really important about your book is you gave so many just tiny hints that you would think wouldn't make a big difference. But when you add them all up, it makes a huge book and a successful book. Um, I I thought of you a lot as I wrote the serenity chapter, Mm -hmm. because that really did help. I think uh, that um, idea of uh, accepting what you can't change and knowing the, the difference um, and then doing something about the things you have control over, it really does help you order your thoughts and can sometimes be a fairly chaotic world in life. Yeah, that's been very important to me all my life. And probably for the last 30 to 40 years at least, I have had the same three by three card, which is a serenity prayer in my medicine cabinet. So every morning when I open my cabinet, that's what I see. Mm-hmm. And so, and now you're in retirement. Um, COVID is, you know, nearly you know behind us in a way. You can start getting back out there. Um, what are three things on your bucket list? Ah, well, one of them would certainly be to go to the East Coast to see my daughter. <laughs> well, you're always welcome. We'll be there. <laughs> so um, I have, a, and of course, you want to meet Bill Hemmer. I do want to meet Bill Hammer. <laughs> I had uh, uh, two trips that were canceled. One of them was a European trip on the Danube on a small ship. And we have until next year to use that. So we're watching carefully to see if maybe that can happen. And I wanted to go to Vienna in Germany where my grandmother played the piano. Mm-hmm. So that's always been in my mind that I wanted to do that. So I'm hoping to be able to do that. There's a lot of places in the United States I haven't seen. I've seen most from here to the West Coast. I've had I've covered it a few times. But there's a lot of places else that we can go. And, you know, the important thing for me in retirement is basically keep moving. Mm-hmm. You know, take exercise classes twice a, twice a week. And I walk and the important thing is to stay healthy so I can go and do these things. Yep. All right. Any last words of wisdom you'd like to impart upon these great listeners of ours? Well, I think the important thing, knowing that this is going to be aired on Mother's Day, is to be so proud of what you have done with your children. I think it's of all the professions that I have done, being a mother has been the most important. And I didn't always have the highest paying jobs, but I had jobs that made a difference for people. And I think that that is a goal for all of us. So I just hope that everybody has a great Mother's Day and remember um, love. It's what we all need. 
Indeed. All right. Happy Mother's Day to you, Mom. Well, thank you very much. A special thank you to Michelle Chase Kennedy and my own mom, Jan Perino, for participating in this podcast. As I don't have children of my own, I thought it was important for me to talk to women who have been there. And for all the moms out there working your butts off every single day, I admire you so much. Happy Mother's Day. Next week, how do you take your career to the next level? To help us with that, we'll talk to Lydia Finette, Global Managing Director of Strategic Partnerships and the Lead Benefit Auctioneer at Christie's Auction House and the author of her widely acclaimed book, The Most Powerful Woman in the Room is You. Make sure you subscribe to this series wherever you download podcasts and leave a rating and review. I'm Dana Perino. Everything will be okay. Listen to Fox News Podcast shows ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or follow wherever you get your podcasts.